Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. My name is Rob Samuelson. I'm an elder here at Generations Church. With me, as always, is my good friend and the lead pastor at Generations, Mr. Jeff Luddington. How you doing, Jeff? I'm a little jealous, man. You are so smooth on that intro. I, I just... I could never be that buttery. I could just, you're so good, bro. I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. I'm here. Uh, We're looking at something I initially wasn't excited about, and you helped us kind of get to a place where we could keep it biblical and tie to these questions and and do it. So why don't you get us going today? Tell us what we're going to do, and actually not just today, but for the next couple episodes. Yeah, we are in a series called Questions from the Classroom. For those of you that are new, uh, I've been teaching at Valley Christian High School for 13 years. This will be my 14th. Jeff uh, just started last year teaching our, our high school seniors. We get it, man. Your resume is better than mine. We got it. It is. We got it. It is. But, you know, you've got another job. I would, I would hold on to the day job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quitting for stand-up comedy anytime soon, no, that's for sure. No, but um, we just collected a lot of questions from our high school students. Uh, I was working with sophomores. Jeff was working with our high school seniors. And then we've been answering those questions in our weekly podcast. And, and today we put together four questions, all interrelated, all of them talking kind of about the same subject. Uh, but we decided that we're going to do this in a series. So let me explain that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, here are the questions. What are the differences in beliefs in the different categories or denominations of Christianity? What are the differences between different denominations? What are the differences between Presbyterians, Methodists, and Assemblies of God? And then the big one, how can Christianity be true if there are different denominations that believe different things, even if they are just slight differences? So we could have done a, uh, a podcast that was about three hours long and just talked about <laughs> each denomination and what they believe. Not if we want to keep people listening. True, true. So we decided that we would divide this up and look at some of the main differences. And we'll talk about those over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but to get us started, why don't we just kick off, what are the three major branches that we're looking at here. Yeah, so there is, modern day Christianity has three major divisions. Uh, We wouldn't call those denominations, and that was asked in the question, but the major branches of Christianity are Roman Catholic, Orthodox, which is your more Eastern churches, uh, like Russian Orthodox, Coptic churches, uh, Antiochian, Greek Orthodox, things like that. Uh, So Western churches, typically Roman Catholic, Eastern churches, Orthodox, and then the Protestant churches. And so major versions of Christianity, most Christian churches in America today, they think of Protestant as that kind of, the other term they use is evangelical, it means something different, but same idea. And really, if you look back on a timeline, you back up to the first, you know, kind of the, the, initi- the, the initial church in the first century, Jesus ascends, the church in Jerusalem is there, um, and for Hundreds of years, what we had was a Catholic church, lowercase c, not Roman Catholic. It meant universal. Catholic means universal. And so we had the universal church as it spread across, you know, Europe, Asia, um, Africa. I mean, it was just a universal church uh, under the headship of often apostles and then leadership, really under the headship of Jesus. And then but a thousand years in, I think it was 1054 AD, the East-West split happens over some things. And that's where you get the Roman Catholic Church in the West and the Eastern Church or the Orthodox Church in the East. 
and then that lasts for about 500 years and roughly 500 years ago, the Protestant Reformation happened. And what happened was Christians, leaders especially, began to push back against the, um, the, the corruption in the Roman Catholic Church. And I say that, and, it, and it's a critique of the church back then. And so uh, they were pushed back, and Protestant Reformation, Protestant means protest, right? They were protesting some of the corruption in the church. And then Reformation, their heart was to reform or fix it. And the Roman Catholic Church didn't receive them very well, uh, in fact, kicked them out. And so uh, we have now what we call the Protestant Church, that third wing of the church, which is, you know, all your Reformed churches, your Presbyterian churches, Methodist, Baptist, you know, Assemblies of God, Calvary chapels, all the different things that come out of that Protestant Reformation. But I'll, I'll say this before we move on. The Protestant Reformation was really good for the Roman Catholic Church because today the Roman Catholic Church has fixed most of those things that the Protestant Reformers had pushed back against. Some of the, many of the corruptions that were taking place have been changed. And so here we are, three major branches of Christianity, and now back to you. We have more questions, right? Right, so we're going to be looking at these, some of the major differences between the denominations, things that, yeah. um, you know, that they would disagree on. Uh, over the next few weeks, we'll look at baptism today. We'll look at the authority of Scripture, um, covenantal versus dispensationalist, high t- or, sorry, end times, not high times. That would be something totally different. <laughs> it's a magazine. <laughs> and uh, high church versus contemporary church services. Yeah. Uh, so... I want to make sure before we get started, even though we're talking about the differences mm-hmm. in the in some of the beliefs of these churches, um, there are essentials that are the same, right? Yeah. There are things that these churches have in yeah. common. So what do you think, um, what would you tell people, make sure your church needs to understand and believe this? Well, the major essentials to Christianity, uh, the what we say, have to be kind of closed-handed issues, right? Uh, Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? I'm not a way or, you know, some truth or, you know, live your truth kind of thing. Uh, but Jesus is essential to salvation. He's the only way to redeem a sinful humanity. Um, that's one. The Bible as authoritative in the life of the church. Now, as you branch out into different versions of the church, there's different definitions of authoritative. But the, that the Bible must be authoritative uh, is a major essential. Heaven and hell and eternity are essential. Uh, they may have different definitions. People believe different things about hell um, or even about heaven. Uh, but that eternity hangs in the balance on this conversation is important. Uh, and sin. Humanity is sinful. Now, how sinful to what level of depravity is humanity sinful? How did it happen? How do we fix it? All those are different conversations, but that there is the problem, or that the, the main problem we're dealing with here with is sin. That's essential to Christianity. All right, so as we dig into our first topic, um, baptism comes to the forefront in most people's minds, that different churches believe different things about baptism. Yeah. And so we're going to go right into just the, the basic verse, Jesus himself talking in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey. So very clearly baptism is important. Right. Why are there differences between what churches believe on this? 
Well, yeah, you know, I mean, if Jesus being the head of the church and God become flesh had been a little clearer here, no, clearly Jesus didn't do it wrong. Um, Jesus commissions the church to make disciples and to baptize people. His one qualification is to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. That's kind of that great commission. Here's what the church is supposed to do. Uh, Trinitarian baptism becomes very important. And um, what happens is the church isn't sure who should be baptized in that, right? And so uh, what we see next as baptism becomes the go-to response, right? In, in response to what Jesus taught his church to do, uh, we baptize people. Now, who and how become questions, right? Or when even becomes a question. So Acts 2 is really this first, uh, Jesus ascends back to heaven in, in Acts 1. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. They're gathered together. The, the Spirit comes upon them. They begin to proclaim the goodness of God. Others hear them and ask what's going on. That's a short version of that, kind of a summary. Peter preaches this amazing gospel message uh, that you couldn't get away with today. Uh, he completely just hammers the crowd like, hey, this Jesus you crucified. Now, to be fair, today we didn't crucify Jesus. They did, right? And so he, this Jesus you crucified, God is raised from the dead. So he looks at the Jewish people, the very people that Jesus came to and through, if you will. Jesus was Jewish. We know that. Um, he looks at them and says, listen, you know, you said this, you crucified Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. So in other words, you're wrong. Like Jesus is the Savior, but here's what he says, so the, the, so the people are convicted and they say, okay, what must we do then to be saved? Like, okay, how do we respond to this? And here's Peter's answer. This is Acts 2, 38 and 39. It says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children, all who are far off, and everyone whom the Lord God, our God, calls to himself. So right here in that, uh, let's just admit there's there's some things in there that people take one part of it and not another. And so uh, when Jesus says, repent and be baptized, some people hear, well, I have to be old enough to understand my sin and repent from it. Okay, well, that's fair. Uh, but then it says, for the promises for you and for your children and all who are far off. So this promise is for you and for your children. Others hear, repent be baptized, you who understand, and your families, right? And so uh, we have two major ideas about baptism. One is called pedo or child baptism, infant baptism, which is really not just infants, but covenant baptism, whole families. And one is credo baptism. Credo means uh, confession of faith. And so those who repent and confess faith are baptized. And so what we get is our first division, uh, or the first time we see it, we see this passage if we're humble and honest, that lends itself to either direction. So what stands out for you first? And then we'll get back into some other scriptures. Yeah, I think there is that idea that um, it doesn't really seem to, to clear it up a whole lot, right? There needs to be some sort of action before you're baptized. Right. But then also your family is then comes under that, that covenant of being baptized. If, if the parent is a believer... Right. And the children are part of that covenant. And so you do see how churches could come down on both sides of that. Yeah, and, and to add to this, there were two ways that you came to be a Jew, 
right? If you were an adult who was not born Jewish and you come to faith in Judaism, uh, you were converted, right, through circumcision. Okay. And then if you were born to a Jewish household, you, if you were male, obviously, you were circumcised. And so circumcision, which we're going to talk about at the end, baptism is the fulfillment of circumcision. Now, if you don't understand that, let me wait till the end. I'll make more sense of that. But there was conversion as an adult and there was conversion or covenant as an infant, right? And this kind of covers both. Now, if you're hearing this and you understand, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And there's a promise, by the way, that gets lost in this. The promise is that you receive the Holy Spirit with baptism. Uh, others later, as we talk about different distinctions, assemblies of God, they, they look for a second baptism with baptism of the Holy Spirit. But most look at this to be baptism with water and a promise of the Holy Spirit tied together. Two more quick verses, Acts 8. Uh, it says, when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. That lends itself to credo baptism, confession of faith baptism, right? When they believed uh, Philip, they were baptized. But Acts 16 is the famous baptism of Lydia. And it says this, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Now, what that means is she was a worshiper of God, but she didn't believe in Jesus. Now, God's about to change that. And so it says this, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well. So God opens her heart. She believes in Jesus, but it says she's baptized and her household as well. Now, in these days, it was common. It was a multi-generational household. Uh, older folks, you know, the patriarch, the matriarch, the, you know, the younger families, the kids, infants, servants uh, in the home, everything, right? The oikos was much different. And so oikos, the Greek word for household, the household is much different. And so when she is baptized in this passage in Acts 16, it's only her that is said to believe. And yet her whole household is baptized. Now, maybe everybody believed. Maybe they didn't. Maybe there's infants. Maybe there weren't. Maybe there were kids old enough to confess faith, and they did. Maybe they weren't. Here's the point. Each passage has its own kind of leaning. In Acts 8, they believe Philip, and they're baptized. In Acts 16... Lydia believes and whole households baptized, and we really don't know. And so it's less clear for sure. So the argument in favor of infant baptism can't just rely on the idea that a whole household was baptized because it doesn't specify infants. So right. where do those who believe that, where do they go biblically to support that claim that infants should be baptized? It's a great question, and, and so let me start in a place we understand, uh, use some clear things to help us understand the less clear things, and so everybody in the church, um, and all three forms, Catholicism, Orthodoxy, Protestantism, uh, you know, all different denominations, they understand communion to be the fulfillment of Passover. Now that's important, because Passover, you had to slaughter a lamb and paint the doorposts and all this stuff, and what's most important in understanding that is that it caused blood. You can't slaughter a lamb and eat the lamb without shedding blood. And so communion is, this is symbolized with the bread and the cup, whether it be juice or wine or whatever you use, and bread. Okay, so neither one of those things are blood, right? It's no longer the, the slaughtering of an animal. It's the symbols in that meal that are not that. So Jesus fulfills them with symbols that don't cause blood. And the, and the point here is that Jesus' blood satisfied all the Old Testament blood requirements, the symbols, the needs, the atoning sacrifices, the Passover lamb, all that. 
Same thing is true about circumcision. You can't circumcise a male, whether he be an adult who converts to Judaism or an infant, without blood. So circumcision can't be continually required because it causes blood, just like Passover. So Colossians 2, Paul is explaining this to a primarily non-Jewish Christian church as people are saying, okay, well, do we still have to keep circumcision? Here's what he says. Uh, Colossians 2, 11 through 13 says, In him, meaning Jesus also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That's uh, a term that refers to baptism, the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him, verse 12, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith and powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So in baptism, imagine like immersion in water, like you're buried in the water and you come up out of the water, right? Death and resurrection, that's that symbolism there. Verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. Baptism. In other words, now in place of circumcision, we have baptism. And that was the celebration of, or the covenant symbol of the New Testament church. And so it's replacing circumcision. So to answer your question, circumcision clearly was about the eight-day-old male, right? It was also including anybody who converted. And so if you place circumcision out into baptism, who would you include in baptism? Infants and adults, right? And so infant baptism or covenant baptism is built in an Old Testament, New Testament, promise fulfillment, no more blood symbols, new symbols, including everybody. And you mentioned just for a second, and we'll just to hit on this, we're getting close to the end, but um, you talked about immersion. We know some churches yeah. sprinkle. Do you want to explain the difference between those or whether it matters? Yeah, so there's three forms of water used. There's immersion in water. Like imagine, you know, the Sea of Galilee and, and you know, Jesus' baptism was most likely an immersion, right? Fully immersed in water. Uh, when we fast forward to Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in the middle of the desert, or you and I were talking earlier in the, the jailer, right? There was no body of water for them to be baptized in, and so they would use uh, they would sprinkle or pour. And so what I would say is baptism includes water. It doesn't matter how much water. Now, Baptists, by definition, believe you have to be, confess faith and be fully immersed in water, right? Uh, but Methodists sprinkle, you know, and, and uh, Presbyterians pour. And so, you know, use of water I, or how much water is less important than the fact it's not. And let me say it this way. It's less important about what I'm doing or we're doing. It's more important what God is doing, right? What God, God meets us in the symbol of water, forgives our sin, and gives us the Holy Spirit. It's not how much water. It's what God does, not what we do. All right, so when it comes to baptism, you're not telling people, choose a church based upon how they baptize or who they baptize. Um, but someone who is new to a city, someone who is looking for a church, right. based upon our conversation today, what would you tell them? What recommendations would you give them on how to choose a church? Yeah, so uh, five things I, I would say to look into a church, and, and we'll use this, I think, and as we work through these episodes. One, find a Bible teaching church, right? We just wrestle with baptism and we use scripture. That's what is most important. Not, well, the church I grew up in did this or not, I prefer this, right? We have our practice, but we find it in scripture. So find a Bible teaching church. Not just somebody who stands up there with a Bible, but somebody who really exegetes Scripture from the Bible. Uh, find a gospel-centered church who ties what they do into the atoning and redeeming work of Christ, right? His sinless life, his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his spirit, 
and his return, right? If the answer in your church is try harder or here's six steps to a better marriage, but it's not rooted in the gospel, I would say find a gospel teaching church. Find a Bible teaching church, a gospel-centered church, and then the worship style or format that you resonate with, right? If you prefer baptism and immersion, if you prefer, if you believe in baptism of infants or credo baptism, baptism of people who confess faith, that's fine. Find something that resonates with you. And that can be as simple as worship styles or sacramental practice. Um, and I would say this, two things. One, probably pick someone, pick, pick a church that doesn't demean all the other churches, right? If you believe in infant baptism, don't condemn all the churches that don't. If you believe in credo baptism, confession of faith baptism, don't demean the churches that practice infant baptism. Again, Jesus says, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we accept Trinitarian baptism. That's what we take. If you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in another church, great. We accept that, right? And the final one is just find a church where you can plug in, you can serve, you can be a part of that family of families. Great. Yeah, and I would also throw in there as we finish up, um, find a church that, that is not afraid to hear your questions. Yeah, that's good. Right? Oh, Ask questions. Why do we do this? Why do you teach this? Why do we believe this? Um, get those answers. Yep. And, and if you belong to a church that says, hey, it's just the way we've always done it, that might not be that good That might enough. be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, again, we're going to con continue this series next week. We'll keep talking about some differences between churches and, and biblically where those uh, thoughts come from. We want to thank you for joining us. We release a new episode every Tuesday. We hope you will continue to listen, to share, to subscribe. And uh, we pray that God will bless you this upcoming week. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church, G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.